Heavenly Father, Lord, we we come to you in a moment in time like today, like this month, where we we can speak the name of Jesus because of the second chance that you sent your son to save this world. And it's because of that we can speak, Jesus, over our fears and our failures and our enemies. But Lord, we want to speak Jesus in this place right now for the hurting, for those who are in need of a savior, for those in need of love. Lord, we thank you that you sent the gift. And Lord, we rest in that gift in your son, Jesus Christ. So we invite you into this place, your Holy Spirit to just spread throughout this room. May hearts be touched because of what you do. And may we just leave this place with a better understanding and a deeper love and understanding of who you are. In your name we pray. Merry Christmas, happy holidays. For some of you, you guys have already been celebrating the Christmas season. Uh, I'm not going to get into how early you should be putting up decorations because that is an ongoing battle that every year some people think it's too soon, too late. Uh, We, I will say for our family, we have been celebrating for quite some time. It is uh, a we love this time of year. Um, I've always loved it. Um, Thanksgiving is actually like my favorite holiday because Christmas is like once Christmas is done, then it's like, all right, reality sets in and you got to go back to work and, you know, there's no more fun stuff. But Thanksgiving is like the beginning of the celebrations and it's, and it's a lot of food. So I really enjoy it. But nonetheless, I'm hoping you're having um, an amazing end of your year and amazing holidays. And there's lots of parties and events like Um, Lizette said we have our young adult um, party tonight, and if you want more info, you can go to our social media and get the um, address. Pastor Justin has disclosed his address on social media, so now you know where he lives, and you'll probably know where I live because we don't live that far apart. But nobody likes goodbyes. And in a season where we anticipate, like this month, the arrival of someone who saved the world, we're actually hitting head-on in Acts 20, the departure of somebody. No one likes goodbyes, and sometimes they can be very emotional. They can be sad, and there's reasons for why those kinds of goodbyes feel that way, because we are experiencing loss when we say goodbye to a, a pet a friend, a loved one, or maybe we just lose something in our life, not necessarily a person, but a thing, there is a a detachment of something, and so that brings about some kind of emotion. We just experienced a farewell this morning with Gavin leaving us after serving with us this semester, having to say goodbye to him, as Pastor Mark said, it brings up some kind of emotion because there has been time-tracked Roots have been settled in and, and, and life has been done with someone like Gavin for us. So it was an emotional time for us to say goodbye to him. But if you're like me, you don't really like to say goodbyes. I remember during um, 
One summer when I was in, in college, um, I was dating now my wife, Vanessa, and in the summers, she lived in Chicago, and um, I was here in Florida, and in the summers, we would always try and visit each other at least once, and, and it was like saying goodbye was like the end of the world for us. It was like, oh, we're never going to see you again, but it's like school started in like three weeks, but it was just like, oh man, like we knew our time was going to be over after spending you know a few days together and, and doing all the touristy stuff, and I remember one specific time where I was taking her to the airport, um, and if you're a college student, you fly Allegiant Airlines because it's the cheapest thing, and you fly out of Sanford Airport, so um, she flew out of there, and I remember driving to, into the airport, and she's just like, she's just crying, she's sobbing because she's going to leave her amazing boyfriend who is just so incredibly great to her, and she's just so sad that I'm going to be away from her and miles apart, and you know, I'm sad too, I'm not, I'm not crying, but that's just how Vanessa is, she's very emotional, I am too, but um, she, she's just going through it, and, and, and we have, we had at this point been dating for, for quite some time, we weren't engaged yet, and so I'm driving here, it's kind of silent in the car, and, and, and she's just sad, and um, as we're driving through, I'm just kind of zoned out, not paying attention, but like the speed limit through there is like 15 miles an hour, which is ridiculous, because it's just like a strip if you've been at that airport, and so I'm not paying attention, and then all of a sudden, I get lights behind me, and I'm like, there aren't real cops at the airport, there's like no way this is like an actual cop that's going to pull me over on the property of the airport, well, sure enough, it was a state trooper, and if you know state troopers, they're intense, and so he pulls me over, and he, um, he first thing he does is, is doesn't even say how I'm doing, or do you know why I pulled you over, just license and registration, and uh, he looks in the car to see who's in there, and he looks past me, and he sees this sobbing young lady next to me, and I had given him my license and registration, and I'm like, this might be a good thing, like, I hope this works in my favor, and he pauses for a second, and he probably, he has no idea, you know, he knows we're obviously going to the airport, someone's getting dropped off, he doesn't know the dynamics of our relationship, and it's really not a big deal, we're just going to see each other in three weeks, but there's sadness in the car, and he's probably has some, some sort of, of sympathy for me, or empathy, and he looks at me, and he says, just make sure you slow down next time through here, and I got away free, it was one of the best goodbye moments of my entire life because I did not want to get a ticket from a state trooper in college. But that was a difficult time. And whatever moment and, and place you are in your life, you have to say these goodbyes. And usually there's some memories attached to those. The time had come for Paul to say goodbye to a group that he had been journeying with, he'd been doing life with, he had poured everything into this Ephesian, the Ephesian elders, and Paul had been doing this for a number of, of different groups as, as we've studied. He'd go from town to town, and he'd invest, and he'd journey with, and he'd, and he'd develop relationships with these people. And now, this was specifically uh, a moment where, in Acts 20, it tells us that there were tears for Paul and a lot of reflection. And so he writes this letter to the Ephesian elders, and it's almost, it's, it's a goodbye letter, and it isn't one of those goodbyes as where, you know, it's not goodbye, but I'll, I'll see you later. Paul knew that he was going into his next journey, his next venture, where he may not make it out alive 
on this one. There was thoughts and there was rumblings, an understanding as a, as a church planter like Paul was or someone who was spreading the gospel during that time, you were putting your life at risk. But where he was headed, there was some trouble and there was some murmurs where this might not end well for Paul. So the Ephesian elders knew that this could be the very last time that they saw Paul, the one who had journeyed, they had journeyed with and, and, he had, and they had walked with throughout his time there. Paul, for the most part, everyone knew he wasn't going to come back. Tracking time with people, journeying with people, makes it that much harder sometimes to say goodbye. It isn't that difficult when you don't really know somebody and you say farewell. You know, there isn't a lot of life shared between one another, but when you're in a situation like Paul was with these individuals, with, with his community, with his people. There was a lot of attachment. And some of us, we choose not to get close to people for that reason. We choose not to, to immerse ourselves in a community like church with individuals because we know what can happen. And, and, and we set up these scenarios in our head of what it looks like if this person ever leaves my life, how, how, how painful that's going to be. So we choose to not grow with someone at the expense of feeling the pain of loss. And we, we experience this in other parts of our life. But we weren't created to live alone. We weren't created to walk this journey called life by ourselves. We see it in scripture. We see how people walked and journeyed and did life together. It was what Jesus did. He, he surrounded himself with people to do life with. We would rather not to have to endure the pain of loss at the expense of growth. To live together means to grow together. This is why church exists. This is why relationships and groups and hobbies. This is why there are things, especially now, like ever before, we are looking for places to connect. We're looking for people to connect with, groups to attach ourselves to. Because as time continues to move forward, things that are created continue to pull us apart, to live in isolation when the human person God created us to be together to do life together to live together means to grow together so in Acts 20 we have this graduation speech if, if you were to, to read it through and, and we won't read all of it and I encourage you if you have time to to, to read through Paul's farewell it, it's an emotional letter that he writes and, and we see a different side of Paul for one of the first times and it's, it's if you were to write a graduation speech, some would call it a, a charge or a challenge to a specific group of people. So he writes this challenge and this charge for the people that he'd been journeying with. It's emotional for Paul. He has tears. He, he explains how hard this is for him to write. For many of you, you, you remember Steve Jobs and, and you remember... Um, he would do these keynotes, and he was famous for saying what at the very end? Anyone know? One more thing. Just one more thing. And usually that one more thing that he was going to 
talk about was the one thing that everybody was waiting for, the one thing that was going to change and revolutionize the world. It was usually like the iPhone or the introduction of the iPad or, or some, some really crazy innovation. Everyone's just kind of waiting that all media is going to be talking about. And in that one more thing, this is Paul's one more thing. The most important thing, as if to say, if, if you don't remember anything that we've done throughout the time that I've been tracking with you, I want you to remember these last few things. Relationships were built in this town. And there was reflection. In this, in this letter, you see the amount of reflection that Paul puts in. He recalls certain instances and situations that he encountered with these elders that he was doing life with. The address is specifically to the Ephesian elders. Before he leaves, he has some things that he wants to say. He throws on just another layer of protection in case you forgot. Let me remind you why you exist, why you're here, why we are journeying together, why we do this. Paul is being loyal to his call to serve Jesus. During this reflection, he he recounts his suffering. He talks about how this journey, when he chose to follow Jesus, it wasn't great all the time. There was a lot of tension. There was a lot of pushback and people who wanted to kill Paul. So what did serving God cost Paul? Well, it it could have cost him his life, and and we know what happens at the end of, of his actual journey in Scripture, but it also cost Paul his comfort of doing whatever he wanted. See, Paul was a a pretty smart guy. We know he wrote some pretty involved letters to churches. And he probably could have been anything that he wanted during that time. He could have been one of the most successful people for that time and made a lot of money. But instead, he stayed true to his calling, and it was to spread the love of Jesus, to spread the story of the one who died. So it cost him his comfort, it cost him potential luxury, it cost him doing whatever he wanted to do. If your commitment to Jesus hasn't costed you anything, then it's time to think about that relationship again. Because when Jesus calls us to walk with him and journey with him, it isn't for us to remain the same. Romans calls it a transformation. We are slowly transformed It's the process of sanctification. When we walk with Jesus, he didn't intend us for us just to stay the way that we are. It isn't to say, yeah, I follow Jesus and just remain the same person. We follow Jesus for a purpose because we want to be better. We want to live a life that is meaningful, that serves the God that we believe came and saved the world. Following Jesus does not mean that we remain the same person. It is a slow transformation. What is your purpose? What is it? Is it outward focused? Is it inward focused? Paul's purpose in his letter was very outward focused. His eyes were set on Jesus. With two words, he lived a life that just said, use me. But we, get, we, we lose sight of that so quickly. We, we, we pray that prayer. We say, God, use me. I want to be used. I want to 
to serve you. And then all of a sudden, when we pray that prayer, it just seems like there are a ton of busy things that the devil likes to put in our way. Work gets more hectic. There's a relationship dynamics that happen. More responsibility is attached. You get involved in some more hobbies or whatever the case may be. And then you say, well, I don't have time for this right now. I don't have time to serve the church right now because there's just so much on my plate. But what's your center point? What is your purpose? Where is your focus? When we say that prayer, when we pray that prayer to be used, does it look like Paul, that we live a life of service that in his farewell letter, he points to Jesus and he reflects on the moments of his life and he, can, he is at peace with what he has done because he made Jesus the priority in his life. Committing to Jesus is a, a life-transforming experience. Paul, as we look through um, Acts 20 towards the end of, of this, essentially this book, he goes into the unknown. And if you've watched a specific movie, they sing this song all the time. And if you have children, you've heard this song a million times, Into the Unknown. And it's amazing to me how they're so excited and, and, and the a passion and the energy of how they sing this song in that movie. And Paul is going into the unknown in this specific moment. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him, but still he keeps his eyes focused on Jesus. Jesus calls us into the moments of the unknown. When he was baptized, when, when he began his ministry, he was going into a place that was foreign to him. And the very first thing that happens is he's tempted and he's tried in the desert for 40 days. Baptism is a great example of this. When, when, when we are baptized, I, I remember speaking with someone, and I maybe said this before, but there was a person who, who was going through um, classes that I was journeying with, and they just said, I want to be baptized, and I just want things to just be, like, great for my life. And I said, well, usually that's not the case, I'm going to be honest. And, and the reason for that is because the devil knows you've given your life to Jesus, and in those moments he knows he's lost, but he's going to do everything he can to disrupt your life so that you don't make that decision. But Jesus calls us to go into the unknown, and that requires some trust. That requires a relationship with our creator, God, to take steps into moments that we don't know what that's going to look like. And, and what does the unknown look like for you? And maybe it's, it's taking a step in a direction where you really don't like your job and there's an opportunity, but you're scared of what that's going to look like. Or it's maybe reaching out to someone who there is a lot of tension and I don't know how this is going to look like and I, I really want to restore this friendship, but that's going into the unknown because I don't know how that person's going to react. What does the unknown piece in your life look like? And, and, and usually that unknown space, that door that you're looking to walk through, a miracle needs to happen. And sometimes Jesus tells you, you take the first step. You see, Christine Kane, she's an author and an uh, amazing speaker. She has said this, and I, I've said this before. She says, many times we're asking God to make a miracle in our life, but rarely do we put ourselves in a position for him to do a miracle in our life. 
because we step back and we wait for the, the unknown to be known, and then we walk through it. But there's no miracle there because you just you saw what was coming. But Jesus calls us to step into spaces that are creating fear, anxiety, and maybe we don't know what's going to happen, but this is the moment where we have to exercise our trust going into the unknown. And Paul is going into a place where the, the worst thing that can happen to him may happen, and that is persecution. And still before he goes into that space, his mission is still outward focused. His mission is still investing in the people around him, in the community that God has put in front of him. Jesus calls us into the unknown, and what is our response in these moments? Are you surrounding yourself with people who support you in those decisions, whose mission is also outward focused, who are going to uplift you in the moments where you are going into a space that you may be fearful of? What is your purpose? Are you, are you afraid to go into the unknown because of the risk that's involved? It's funny, as children, we, we dream big. Adeline will say one day she wants to be a professional ballerina, and then another day she wants to be the next Taylor Swift, and then the next day she wants to be a doctor to heal mom because she's not feeling well. All big dreams, but it's interesting that as we get bigger, our dreams become smaller. And that's for a number of reasons. It's our life experiences. It's things that we've seen. We've, we've seen failure. We've seen people not succeed in things. We've, we've heard how hard it is. We've heard the words, you can't do that. There's no way you can achieve that. And all this negative talk and, and, and things that we see around us really diminish what God has created us to actually be. See, Paul knew his mission and his purpose and what he was trying to do would ultimately change the trajectory of this world that's dreaming big. It was bigger than him, but he knew that he was fulfilling his mission in Jesus. So what's God calling you to dream about? What is the unknown that maybe because of your life experiences, because of the failures that you've seen, you, you're afraid to dream that big, but deep down inside you know that that is what Jesus is calling you to do. What does that look like? For you, what is that unknown space for you? I was talking to one of our musicians, uh, Andre, plays drums, he's actually here today. Just last week, we were sitting outside um, before we were going to start church, and um, I don't know how we got into this conversation, uh, but he says, you know, sometimes we make church too complicated. We make sermons too complicated, and I'm here like thinking about what I'm going to talk about this week, and I'm like, all right, well, I need to not complicate it, I guess. And uh, he's like, man, you know, sometimes it's just a miracle to talk about how God made humans, how the human is the most complex thing that God created. That in itself is a miracle. And if that's true, and we were created by God, then we were called to dream big. If we are made in his image, then we're also called to create and to dream big dreams because he's Created, he's designed you for a specific purpose, just like he did Paul, to change the trajectory of the people around you, to be an influence, to be a voice, to be a lighthouse in the places where you exist. 
And as humans, we are created to do that. We are, we are an amazing creation, and, and God has chosen people, humans, to continue to carry his message till the end of the world. As we get bigger, our dreams become smaller. It's something that really just challenges me, and, and I, I wonder, have I let all the, the things around me, the, the, the negativity, the people, the naysayers of, of saying you can't do things, has that overcome the voice that Jesus has called me to live for him? So if someone were to ask you, what were you created for? If I were to ask you today, what are you created for? Would you have a good answer? Why were you created? What is your purpose? What we're witnessing in Acts 20 is a legacy of a man who left it all out on the battlefield. A legacy that would be remembered, not because of the things that he did for himself, but what he did for others. Because what he did, how Paul lived, was outward focused, saying, use me. No matter what busyness, no matter what responsibilities come my way, my focus is Jesus. My message is Jesus. And the words I speak is love that I've received from Jesus. What's your legacy? What's your farewell letter look like? What are you leaving behind? What will people say about you? What will people say about your church? We asked when we, when we first started Warehouse, and um, I, January, first week of January, we're turning two years old as Warehouse community. Uh, I would love for you guys to be there. We have some really cool things planned. But we, as we reflected on this and we started to look at that, if you remember and you've been journeying with us, one of the first things, we, we got a group together of leaders, young and old, and people who've been here and new, and we asked, what do we want Warehouse community, what do we want people to say about Warehouse community 100 years from now? And we sat in this room, not in this room, a different room, and there was a whiteboard, and we filled this, these two whiteboards just full of things of what we would want people to say about us. And the beautiful thing about each and every one of those, I wish I had a picture. Um, it's somewhere. I think Pastor Mark has it. But each thing, each one of those things were outward focused. It was a beautiful moment that we realized we know that our purpose, we don't just exist for ourselves, but we exist to change lives. What will people say about your church? What will people say about you? What will your legacy look like as you reflect on Paul's letter and and and, and you see heart of service, even to the end of his time, to the end of his life, his focus was outward. The response was an outward focused response. As a Christian, we can learn a few things from Paul as he closes this letter. But we must live a life of vulnerability because vulnerability is the door to growth. In a church, we want to go below the surface. It's why we do home church. It's why we do table Sabbath because we're just tired of 
saying hi and bye to people and not getting below the surface and getting to know people's hearts and what they're going through because this is how we grow. When people see a different side of you, when, when Paul shed tears and when they saw his success and in his failures, they shared their successes and their failures and they had a group to support and to grow together and to become better. To grow together means to communicate well. Paul was an amazing communicator. And he, he ended his life with, let me just communicate to you these last few things. Paul was one who prepared people for the kingdom. And this is what he does in his farewell letter and what he hopes that the elders of the church continue to do. We must not seek to please but rather to prepare people for the kingdom of heaven with our influence. Finishing well means to invest in your now, to make the, the decisions now, to do the things now so that we may finish well as a church, as an individual. I love, I love uh, watching these um, highlight reels of, of athletes um, I love watching like high school kids and, and how just like, I mean, if you look at like 1980 basketball highlight videos to like now the high school player is just like, there's many reasons for that. I'm not, don't, don't quote that I said it's evolution because it's not. Um, but there is just a lot of amazing trainers and nutrition has come a long way. And it's just like, you look at these guys and you're like, oh my word, man, like these these athletes are insane and you'll hear of a player and I, I love watching, I mean, these athletes play football or basketball, baseball, whatever, and I'll, I'll look these kids up and I'll look them up on YouTube and usually you put their name in, there's a bunch of highlight reels. And it's cool because you just get to see how great these players are. And usually it's someone on their group, on their team, um, that's helping them get recruited that makes these videos. But usually all you see is their successes. Usually all you see is all the amazing plays they made. You don't see the turnover. You don't see the strikeouts. You don't see when they threw an interception. You just see what they're capable of being. And sometimes I wish, man, I, I, I wish people only saw my highlight reel. But the reality is you make up more than just the good in your life. Your life is made up of more than just the good things in your life. Because of our fears, because of our failures, we learn from those mistakes. It's a beautiful thing when we reflect on our life and, and we can say that we learned from the ups and the downs. And as a church, I hope that we don't just show our highlight reel to the people around us. That we share the, the failures. That we share the things that really impact, impacted us. And maybe you've never reflected on your life yet. Maybe you're, you're young and, and you haven't just, what have I accomplished and what have I done? About a month ago, um, I was having these like really bad headaches and it lasted for like two days. I couldn't see. I mean, it, I had like ice packs on my head and um, I didn't know what was going on and it lingered for like six days. So I go to the doctor and um, I have high blood pressure. And now, you know, I take medication. I do now. I wasn't because I was in denial. I felt like I, I could beat 
I didn't want to be on medication at 35, but here I am. And um, they ordered a CT scan of my head, and that just, it scared the life out of me. Because I'm the kind of person that, I mean, I just snowballs into what that could be. And I didn't ask many questions, but I'm like, you know, is what's in my head? Like, is there something going on? Is there a tumor? Like, I'm like out of it. It doesn't help my blood pressure. It's just like all the things combining. And um, in those moments where, at least for me, when I thought, I don't know what's next. I don't know what they're going to tell me. You begin to reflect. I began to reflect on my life what I had done, if I fulfilled my purpose and, and, and you know, it, it, nothing like this had ever happened to me. I had never gone, a, I'd gotten a CT scan of my, of my head and, and the doctor looked pretty worried and so I was worried. And so I, I look at my, my children and I, I say, what have I done in their life that's shown them Jesus, that's shown them how to live? Have I done what God has called me to do? Luckily, everything came back good, and, and um, they think it was just my high blood pressure that I need to take my medication every day, and so I gave in. I'm taking it every day. If you see me, ask me. Hold me accountable to that. Um, it runs in my family. There's nothing I can do about it. I've, I've come to that reality. But in that moment, I reflected, and I said, what does my legacy look like? What have I done? Have I... Have I stood before Jesus and have I said, God, use me? And have I been open? Have I been vulnerable? Have I been called? Have I fulfilled my calling? I believe I have a long life ahead of me. And I know there's a lot left for me to do. But in these moments, and I hope this, this moment doesn't come to you in that way. But maybe this is what it takes for you to reflect and say, have I lived a life, a legacy that reflects Jesus? Have I lived an outward life? Paul's letter, as he finishes, he ends it with thanking God for his failures, for his successes, for his life, for his journey, for everything. The one more thing was Jesus. He said, if you forgot everything that I've told you, remember how good God is. No matter what unknown you're going to through, no matter what the unknown is that I'm going to go through, I'm going to live a life in gratitude of the one who saved me from a life that was going to be lost. The one more thing was thanking God for his now and for his future and for what he had done and how good God is. After speaking of his mission, and his successes and his failures, he gives thanks to God. When it's all said and done through whatever road you've taken, is your posture to thank God for where you are and where you're going. If we believe that God died and we believe that he saved the world, then we believe that he has a plan to restore and redeem this world that we know that we can thank God right now even though we may not see it yet. We know that God is good and we know that we give thanks to the one who's already won and this is what Paul is doing. In the midst of him facing his persecution, he knows it's coming. He says, thank you God for who you are, for what you've done. 
He knew his purpose. He knew his calling. And no matter what was coming his way, he lived a life of praise, of gratitude, and of thanks to who God was. And this is the message he leaves with his people. No matter what, give thanks because God is good. May we finish well. May we finish this year well. May we give thanks for the gift of Jesus. It's what we celebrate in these in this month, in these moments, we give thanks for God for sending a plan B, for sending the other option. When things failed, he sent Jesus. No matter what you're going through, no matter what heartache, no matter what loss, just know that there was a plan B and that plan B was Jesus. And he loves you and he's here for you. Father God, Lord, may we give thanks for who you are. No matter what we're going through, we know that you are good. You've saved us. You've called us your children. In our ups and our downs, we say thank you. 